All right, good morning. I say kudos to all of you for being here. Because, uh, you know, it could have been a morning to just kind of cozy up and be under the covers, but you are here, and I am glad to be here myself. I am uh, laughing because this is how much I love Cornerstone, that I was up at 5.30 this morning <laughs> to get here. So you are loved by me. And I do, and I do love coming here, so thanks. I have a um, really special treat uh, today, both of my sisters are here, actually. So I get to point them out. They're the two beautiful blondes right here. Wave, wave your hands. There they are, yeah. You know, I, I just have to brag on them for just a second. Uh, you know, not everybody has uh, great family relationships. I, I know that. And because, uh, you know, I experienced that, actually. No. <laughs> Let me just tell you how I really feel about you right now. I, I have been so fortunate in my life to have uh, two sisters who have been uh, amazing role models for me, like just in their tenacity, in their joy for life, in uh, their love for people, in their passion, and most importantly, in their love for Jesus Christ. And uh, it's just a privilege, really, for me to get to have them here and that they can be here and celebrate the fact that transformation actually does occur because they've known me all my life. And they know the great transformative work that God has had to do to get me to this point. So uh, I'm glad you guys are here. And if you get a chance afterwards, go over and say thank you for loving Libby. (laughs) Well, uh, I don't know, it was several months ago... uh, I, I, it was before that, I knew I was coming to Coffee Talk, and Laurel sent me an email, and she said, hey, uh, could you give us the title of your talk? And I was so impressed that Laurel is so organized, and, and I, I am not that organized. And so uh, I was sitting at my desk in my office, and I, I had about five other things before this, and I was trying to think of titles for those things, you know, one which was like a week away. And... Uh, <clears throat> But, you know, Laurel had sent me this email, and I wanted to be faithful to it, so I was sitting, I was sitting at my desk, and she had told me the theme of the year, and I, I'm going to confess to you, there was, like, nothing spiritual about this moment, except that I really believe God is in every moment, you know, even when you aren't tapping into that. And so I said, you know what, just, just call it living upside down. Ty- type that in. Uh, <laughs> Sounds good to me. I, I didn't know where I was going with it. I, I really, nothing. But it sounded kind of clever, and so I, that's good. So then I, uh, I uh, get a, I think we chat on the phone, and, and Laurel says, so you know, we're, we're really trying to want to work your, you know, the title of your message into our theme. And in my head, I'm like, I have no idea what the title of my message even is. What is the title of my message? And I'm praying, God, please have her tell me the title of my message. <laughs> and God bless Laurel. The spirit of God spoke to her, and she said, I just love living upside down. That's going to fit perfectly. And I said, yes, I felt that leading. <laughs> Now, here's the irony of God. Living upside down actually fits perfectly uh, with where God is going to take us today. And, uh, and that's just how God is. You know, I'm sure God was laughing with me, perhaps at me in that moment. But uh, 
this is a good image. Now we're going to bring an image up on the screen. And you know, we've talked about this image of the butterfly all, all year, the transformation. And, and I, I, I brought this up because I wanted to highlight this whole concept of transformation. Now you all you know, went to school at, at some point in time, I'm assuming. And you had to take the science class where they talk about the cocoon and you know, the, you know, the caterpillar and becomes the butterfly. And maybe you had one in your classroom. And it was a very exciting time. I, I remember my daughter had one. And they had this butterfly thing. I didn't call it the butterfly thing, but it had a name. And, um, and we watched you know, the caterpillar spin the cocoon and then became butterfly. Super exciting. What's interesting about this picture is, do you know how the caterpillar becomes transformed? One of the things that happens, it hangs upside down. See, it's not right side up. I'd be supposed right side up in its head. I don't know. But when we look at it, we see it, it's upside down. And it's breaking out because it's been willing to hang upside down. Now, I want you to keep that image in your head. We're going we're gonna to pull it down, but keep this image in mind. Because this image of transformation uh, and this image of being upside down is really perfect for life in general. I mean, who would have thought that this morning I would be standing here talking about living upside down just in the midst of the world circumstances that we're in right now? You know, I mean, it, it doesn't take a genius to just look on the news or listen on the radio and feel like, what is happening in our world. I, I was sitting with coffee somebody yesterday, and they said, I think it's the end of the world. And I said, bring it. Bring it. God, I'm ready. God, God let's go, you know? <laughs> but then, you know, because the circumstances of the world are just crazy. I mean, you know, we've been, we've been overwrought with, with the drama in the Middle East and Japan, and it's just, it's just gut-wrenching. I mean, you see the images, and these people, and you go, God, you know, and people always ask me, why has God let that happen? Oh, no, no, I have a great, I have a great answer for that. Yeah, here, let me tell you why. God zoomed it down on my email this morning. I just got it. <laughs> and why is it God's fault always when the bad stuff happens, right? You know, it's always God's fault. Something happens, God's fault. Something great happens, God, no. Dog. Oh, a dog did it, not God. I mean, it's just ridiculous, really. There's a sense of tragedy and a sense of amazing blessing in the world, and they fit like this, and we can't explain it. We can't explain it, and that's the world we live in. Now, you may say, you know, I'm cognizant of what's going on over there, but I got to tell you, my world feels upside down. I mean, I feel for those people, but I got to tell you, my world is upside down. Uh, I, I'm living in a life that I never thought I'd live. I'm, I'm, I have no job. You know, I, I'm lonely. I thought I'd have a spouse by now. I don't have one. I, I have children who are making me crazy. <laughs> All children actually do that. But <laughs> I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what my future holds. All these things are real. Each one of us, I can guarantee you, each one of us in this room today has at least one thing where you're thinking, God, my world feels upside down. It could be a big thing. It could be a small thing. But it's the thing where you say, this isn't what I expected. You know? So I turned 50 in August. 
In fact, I'm coming back the weekend before I turn 50, which is, that's good for me. It'll be a good psych up. The love, <laughs> the cornerstone love on me before I hit the, the 50 mark. And, and oftentimes, you know, when you hit significant birthdays, and it, it can be 50, you know, it can be 20, it can be 80, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you ask yourself the question, you know, here I am in life. Is this where I thought I would be? You know? And I don't really know what that means. You know, I, I guess you could think in your mind, I'm going to plan my life out from the time I'm a kid. Rarely does it happen the way we think it's going to happen. You know, there might be some things. But, but in general, you know, I, I have a journal that I kept from college. And uh, I looked at that journal, and I, I made these goals, you know, these 10-year, 20-year goals. Somebody told me to do it. I mean, it's so not really how I am, but <laughs> I did it anyway. And I was reading these goals, and I, and I laughed, because some of them I achieved, but, but most of them, you know, they're, they're pie in the sky, by and by, and they ain't going to happen, you know? So forget it. Letting it go, let the dream die, move on in the reality that you're in. You might feel like you're living upside down. Living upside down isn't a bad thing, though. You know, sometimes when we use that kind of language, we think of it and we go, oh, living upside down, negative. And there, and there is that sense. Uh, but there's also a positive sense about living upside down. And that's really what I want to talk about uh, this morning. Uh, not to ignore the, the hardships in life. And granted, I have plenty, and so do you, and we'll, we'll engage those as well. But to talk a little bit about how can we, as followers of Jesus, or as folks who, you know, got brought here today under the guise of having a bagel with some salmon, and, oh wait, and you're going to hear a crazy woman talk about Jesus, but how can we as followers of Jesus, and maybe prospective followers of Jesus, um, ask ourselves that question, what is transformation, and how is it, why does it even matter to me? I mean, why are we even here talking about it? Why aren't we just, you know, sleeping, or having bagels somewhere else, or reading the paper in a coffee shop, or whatever it might be. Why here? Why now? Why does it matter? I want to talk about uh, several things about transformation that I think are important for us to hold on to and, and to learn from as, uh, as we kind of move forward. And, and the first one is this. Uh, transformation is a part of the natural order of the world. I mean, actually, the caterpillar into the butterfly is a great example of that. Transformation is a natural uh, part of the world, but as humans, we tend to avoid it because we don't like it because it usually implies change. All right? So transformation involves change. Some people like change. I mean, my daughter, for example, likes to change. She changes her clothes uh, like four times a day, which is sort of ironic because she wears a uniform to school. So <laughs> she has a big chunk of the day where she only can wear one thing. But, you know, she's 14 now. And for some of you who have known me you know, for a long time, I think you probably have heard me talk about her for probably the time she was four. And now she's 14. It's just hard, it's hard for me to believe. Uh, and she loves to change. And... She loves to tell me how static I am in my fashion sense, for example. She, I was wearing a pair of pants the other day, and she comes up to me, and she goes, yeah, those pants, they're not working for me. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, thanks for sharing, you know? And uh, that's just kind of, she loves that. She likes to change in that way. But when her world changes, doesn't like that so much, you know? The things that we can control about change, that's great, you know? I can change my hair, and I do, you know, every six weeks. I change the color of it. 
mainly get rid of the gray. Uh, we can change our style. We can go, hey, I'm going to change my style. I'm going to go from this look to some other look. We can change where we live. We, we can change a lot of things that we control. But when real change happens, most often it's not something we're able to control. I've been doing a little bit of uh, work in uh, the study of the brain. And part of that's driven by my fascination with the brain, having a son with autism. And uh, in another, you know, if I had another opportunity in life, I might become a neurologist because the brain has fascinated me from the time he was diagnosed uh, and how the brain works and how it doesn't work and how it works differently than everybody else's brain. And his brain is a unique brain, just like all of ours are, but his is maybe a little more unique in its own special way. And uh, one of the things that they've been noticing in, in brain science is that the brain, by its nature, does not like change. The brain doesn't want to change, which means that when change comes our way, our brain says to us, flee, flee, flee. It has a flight response because the brain loves sameness. It likes predictability. It likes to know how things are going to be. So think about the things in your life that you like to hold on to. You know? And sometimes they're things you know are bad for you, you know? but they're the same. I, I have this, it's just kind of stupid, but it's a good example of this. Every morning, I go to Starbucks, and I get my coffee, and I have them put extra whipped cream on it. Extra whipped cream. I mean, have you ever been to Starbucks and seen like what the normal whipped cream is like? I mean, you know, it's like this much. And then they give you extra in this. They have to put it in a whole nother size cup. Uh, and I, I, I just, it's, I love this whipped cream, okay? And uh, I know that I should not be eating this whipped cream. I mean, it's like hardening my arteries as I'm licking it. I mean, I'm like <laughs> licking it, my heart hurts. You know, I. <clears throat> I've, you know, I'm transforming into middle age, so my body doesn't respond as well to calorie intake as it used to. It just stays. You know, it doesn't go out like it used to. So I know this, but you know what? I love my habit of going there every morning and getting the same thing. To let go of that feels almost impossible. <laughs> in kind of a sick way. <laughs> That's a simple illustration. Think about the deeper things in life, the way we think about something. I, I, would, I would venture to guess that there are a lot of us here today who, in our more honest moments, feel like we don't matter. We don't matter. That we're invaluable. But somewhere inside, for whatever reason, you have felt all your life that you're not important enough. And no matter how much you hear the message that you are valuable, and not only that you're valuable just in the world, but that you are valuable to the God of the universe, there is something about the sameness of believing you don't matter that's hard to let go of. Sometimes we're in relationships that are just horribly unhealthy for us. It can be friendships. It uh, can be someone you're dating. can be uh, in a marriage relationship, and there's abuse going on. And I have had women sit across from me in a counseling situation and say to me, I know this is killing me. 
but it's all I know. It's tragic. But the brain holds on to what it knows, and so change is difficult. It's hard for us to say, I'm going this way, and now I need to go this way, because I've always gone this way. But if we're going to be women who are seeking transformation, who really are going to say, I value transformation in my life, then we're going to have to be willing to say, transformation is going to be hard. And you know, I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to embrace it. I'm not going to run away from it. I'm not going to flee it or flight away from it. I'm going to say, bring it. Bring it on. It takes courage to be a woman who's willing to be transformed. Because the very center, really, of how we think and how we make decisions and what we do screams out to us, do not change. But here's the deal. We don't just operate in the material of the brain. We don't just operate in the natural. We operate in the supernatural. So anything is possible in the supernatural. Anything is possible. Any kind of transformation is possible in the supernatural. God's power is so much greater than my brain that that kind of change, whatever it is, can happen. The power of God is greater than the natural person's desire. Now, the choice is ours. Do you, are we willing to tap into that power? You know, that takes courage, too. It takes courage because we call out to that power, and what if we don't see things happen right away? You know? And we tell someone, I'm trusting in the power of God to transform me, and then a year later, I'm trusting in the power of God to transform me, and five years later, I'm trusting in the power of God to transform me Get to it, God. <laughs> and people are looking at us, and you know, you kind of feel foolish because you stood out on the promise of transformation and you took the step of courage and you're trying to move forward and you're still the same. So we're afraid of that sometimes. But that doesn't mean God's not powerful enough to transform us. What that means is transformation happens in God's time. This is very difficult for me uh, because God's time is so slow to me. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to tell you right now. I, I, it's so slow. Waiting on God. I, I'm, I'm teaching on Tuesday a Bible study at my church, and we're going through Isaiah. I was working on Isaiah chapter 40 and 41, and you know, one of the things it talks about is those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And uh, I was just studying that, and one of the things that uh, I read was, you know, God is a God of the ages. God is a God of eternity. God can wait you out. <laughs> God's waiting has a purpose. I don't know what it is. And that's probably one of the things that's hard for us about waiting, is we want the full picture. Give me the full picture, and then I'll be happy to do the waiting. But I, I, you're not God, and I'm not God, and God's not going to give me the full picture. And sometimes there's just a part of that in life where I just have to say, I don't know what the full picture is going to be, God. Uh, but I'm going to trust in you to have the power to get me where I need to be and to transform me. And every day, I'm going to stand on that promise even when everything 
in my life says, you're not working. Transformation involves change. And it involves our willingness to live in that change and to hang in there in that change and to be courageous in that change. Second thing is this. Uh, transformation for us as followers of Jesus means we keep in front of us um, an upside-down worldview, that we hold before us an upside-down worldview. Now, what do I mean by that, an upside-down worldview? Well, I want to read to you uh, a text from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and it helps us, I think, to understand a little bit about what an upside-down worldview means. Because, you know, when we walk with God, one of the things God tells us is our view of, the, of, of life, our worldview, how we view the world, how we view our place in the world, how we view our impact on the world, changes. It changes. It looks different. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. An upside-down worldview says the things that the world values have to run through the filter of what God values. And sometimes those things are going to be radically different. Uh, many of you, you've journeyed with Dan and I, Dan vicariously, because you've yet to meet him. He's actually just a poster figure. Uh, <laughs> in our, with, with our son Trent, who just turned 13, and his autism. And, and it's been a journey, and it's been a hard one. I mean, you want to talk about struggling with God in waiting and transformation and begging and pleading and being desperate, and being joyful, and seeing things happen. That, that's, that's my story. This is my story. Yours is, yours is different. One of the things that we had to do this last year, which is probably, I think it's probably the hardest thing we've done yet, is uh, we had to start making decisions about his future. Uh, what, what, is, what is his future going to hold when he's you know, 20, not now? Now he lives with us. But, you know, he's bigger now, and he's stronger now, and he's becoming a young man now. And when he's 20, he's going to be bigger than me. He's going to be stronger than me. Uh, he's going to be willful because that's how we are, really, all our life, not just when we're 20. But we had to begin to decide, and we were really prayerful about this because, you know, in, in kind of a typical world, you know, when you have a child, you get, your child gets to be 18, and you, you send them out. Get, go. Bye. I love you. you know. and, 
And everyone goes out in different ways. Some, some people go to college. Some people go to junior college. Some people take a trade. You know, everybody's development is different, and God's path for them is different. But kind of the idea is you grow them up, you know, and, and you go, okay. And then you get in your motor home, and, you know, you drive around. <laughs> <clears throat> For us, you know, we, we couldn't get our hands around this concept for Trent, because Trent's, Trent's really one of the despised of the world. Because he's different. Because he's disabled. And people don't want to deal with disability. They don't want to deal with people who are different than they are. It reminds them of their own fragility. We went to look at a a beautiful ranch in Texas that uh, has adults with disabilities live there. It's a community, community of faith, really cool place. And when we went, uh, the woman who is the executive director there has a son who's, who lives there. He's in his late 20s. And the whole ranch was founded actually around her sister who had a disability. And here she has a son with a disability. And she has a vision for people who are the despised of the world or who are the foolish of the world. And we sat and she, she came in, she told her story, and she said, you know, for your child, and I'm thinking of my boy, she said, you know, the world is a round hole and they're a square peg. And all day long, people are taking them the square peg and they're going, fit in our round hole. Fit in our round hole, you know? And she said, here, they're a square peg, and we're a square hole. And when you come here, you don't fit. This is their world, and this is their place, and God is here, and we're celebrating who they are. Well, it's a really different, actually, way of looking at it. I don't know why I didn't look at it like that before, but, you know, whatever. And there I was, and I'm walking around, I'm seeing all these people who I think, you know what, uh, they're so different. I mean, they look different, you guys, you know. Uh, they're, they act different. Some of them don't talk, you know. Uh, one guy was laying on the floor. I mean, he's, just, you know, he's probably 30, laying on the ground, kind of having a tantrum because he didn't want to go into the workroom. And I thought to myself, uh, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the foolish things of the world. And I look at those kids or those adults, and had I not had a son with autism, I might think to myself, those are the people who are the foolish ones of the world to shame me. To see things differently. For us to be transformed women, we have to have a worldview that looks at things differently. You don't have to have a disabled child to see the world differently. <clears throat> you don't have to be homeless to see the world differently. You don't have to have cancer to see it differently. But if you're a follower of Jesus, transformation means you say, I'm going to keep that worldview in front of me. I'm going to keep that worldview in front of me. God, what is important to you? Because I want that to be important to me. And that may imply sacrifice, and that may imply making choices you don't want to make, 
but it will imply uh, things that are joyful and are long-lasting and get into your soul. So transformation for us means we maintain an upside-down worldview. Third thing is this. Transformation is an art. It's not a science. A transformation is an art. It's not a science. You know, there is no equation for transformation. Wouldn't it be awesome if today I went, okay, so here's what you do. A plus B equals C, and then you're going to be transformed. And just have a drink of Kool-Aid on your way out. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? You need to go, she gave me the formula. Sweet. You know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be better, and I'm not gonna have struggles, and I'm gonna just be a joy bug when I walk out of here, and man, it's gonna be good. Uh, and we kind of want to approach it that way. I mean, you know, it, 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 we're guilty of this in the Christian community. If you walk into a Christian bookstore and you look at some of the things on the shelves, I mean, I'm just like, really? <laughs> wow. I mean, you know, 10 days to holiness. <laughs> you know? I got to tell you, man, it did not take me 10 days. OK, I tried it. 10 days. <laughs> Right? And, and we're so drawn to that. I mean, completely drawn to it. You know? we're, we're drawn to that kind of thing. And we're, that's what sells all kinds of things. You know? That's the kind of thing that says, put electrodes on your abs for 20 minutes a day, and you'll have a washboard stomach. And people go, I need that. Okay, That's what gets us. We go, I, I, I want it to be nice and neat. You know, I want to say, okay, if I do this and I do this, I'll get this. Now, here's the deal. That's not how transformation works. That's really unfortunate. <laughs> transformation is an art. Now, we got a cool thing. We got a great visual for us today because here we have a painting that, that when we started, you know, wasn't, a, wasn't finished. I don't know. It, is, is it finished? No, because it's never really finished, is it, as an artist? You're kind of always... Just go, yes. Just, yes, Libby. You did not drink your Kool-Aid. Uh, <clears throat> but you see that that that, that transformation, it, it, it's, it's fluid. It's fluid. Transformation is it's a fluid thing. It, it happens throughout our lives. There's never a moment in life where you're going to go, I'm transformed. I'm good. <laughs> Done. Jesus, me. Same. No. It's a fluid process, which is actually a good thing, because you know what? Fluidity means it ebbs and flows. So you know, you have periods of time in your life where transformation is intense. I mean, it's intense. And you're in the middle of it, and you're just going, I don't know if I can survive today. Like, I'm not sure I can get through this, you know? And, uh, and sometimes uh, those periods go on, and you think, oh my gosh, I'm going to pull my hair off, because this is so hard. It's so hard to stay the course. It's so hard to keep that upside-down worldview. It's so hard to believe in God for my life. But fluidity means there comes a point in time where it flows down, and you kind of go, okay, that's good. Okay, I'm breathing. I'm doing my day. It's all right. And there's no apology for that. You know, nobody says as a follower of Jesus you have to be in constant crisis and pain and suffering. 
I mean, you'll be in crisis and pain and suffering. Trust me, it will happen because that's how the world is and that's what it's like. That's what it's like. But you don't have to constantly, oh my gosh, it's so hard. It's awful. And think, I got to make something up because I don't really have anything bad in my life right now. You know, celebrate those moments where you're on the flatlands and you're going, it's good. Or when you're in the highlands and you're like, man, I, it is good. And I see God working and I'm, I am in a great space. Because you know that's going to drop and then you're going to be in that dark space. You're going to be in the valley of the shadow of death. And you're going to say, okay, somewhere I remember I was on a mountaintop. <laughs> I'm not really sure where one is, but it was there. But that's the beauty of it being fluid, is it ebbs and flows. So all of life, you have this process. Uh, there's going to be moments where transformation happens. It's going to be amazing. You know, when I first started really walking with God, the transformation to my character was, was fantastic. I don't mean that in a, like, I was so neat. It was just so obvious to me how I changed. So many things changed, you know. And then after a while, it kind of just kind of got, you know, here. And then it wasn't as exciting. I'm not going to lie to you. I was like, well, this isn't exciting. I I'm kind of just doing my day with God. What's exciting about that? I mean, I, I wanted the drama. You know, I wanted the lifetime television movie <laughs> with the big conclusion, you know, that always works out. And, and it was just happening. You know, transformation moved more slowly. Then there comes periods of time where I go, man, God, I'm being pushed. I am being pushed so hard. I'm being pushed way more than I... <laughs> get my hands around. Um, but I'm growing, and I'm changing, and I'm being transformed. You know? and, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's fluid. It, it'll, it'll move and groove, and it'll go up and down in life. And that's how God works in our life. And that's a good thing about transformation. Uh, it's combustible and not controllable. Transformation is combustible. And what I mean by that is it will blow you up. <laughs> uh, not blow you up, but blow you up. It will change you, and, and it will be, uh, yeah, it's kind of like a combustible. My husband and I were laughing because my nephew uh, stayed with us last weekend. He's 23, and, and he was up, and my husband, and, and he were talking about guys and things that young guys like to do. And one of the things my husband says is they love to blow things up. He goes, I can't tell you the number of things I blew up as a kid. And I was like, la, 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 la. I mean, I don't, don't tell me that, you know. I mean, you know, you'd put a, he's like, you put a firecracker in an apple. No, blow I mean, this is a 53-year-old guy and a 23-year-old guy, and they're like, oh, wish that, isn't that awesome? You know, and you're just like, in your head, I'm thinking, you're embarrassing. You're, who are you? Uh, but this is sort of what transformation is. It's like putting a firecracker inside of an apple, lighting it, and it goes Poof. And we're not exactly sure when God transforms where all the pieces are going to land. <laughs> You're not always sure. You can't control that. I can't jump up in the air and grab that piece and grab that piece and grab that piece and go, I'm going to put it together the way I want. Because sometimes it blows out and God says, I got it. I got it. I've got all the pieces, and I'm going to put them where I want. And your job is to wait and let me do that. So it'll kind of, it'll kind of blow you apart. Not in a negative, not, you know, but just in a way where you go, wow. Uh, 
hadn't thought about it that way. It could be just a, it could be a minor thing, some way you think. It could be a major uh, addiction in your life. It, it could simply be in a, an epiphany. Like, I didn't know God worked that way. That's God blowing something up. You just thought, well, God worked these ways. And all of a sudden, God goes, hey, let me blow that up and transform you into seeing actually how big I am. Transformation is self-aware based. That's the third little piece of that second point. It's self-aware based. If we're going to be women who are transformed, you've got to know yourself. I mean, you've got to be able to say, where do I need to be transformed? I mean, God knows where we need to be transformed. But, but part of this journey of transformation is, is us taking part in the journey. I mean, it's not like we're in a movie and we're sitting in now. they got those great, you know, lounge chairs. You're like, sit back. You got your, you got your Diet Coke with your popcorn with butter because those cancel each other out. <laughs> and, you know, it's like they got a foot rest. And, and, and you're just like, entertain me, right? It's awesome. Oh, this is great. Well, that's not what this is like. Because God's like, you're in the movie. You're in. You're not watching. You're a part of it. That means you have to know who you are and and where I'm working. You have to be willing to be self-aware. I can't tell you the number of people I know who have said to me, I don't want to know that about myself. They don't want to be self-aware. These are people who love God. They love Jesus. They're trying to follow Jesus. They're trying to be transformed. And they're hitting a wall over and over and over again because they're not willing to look inside themselves and say, God, what needs to change? What needs to change? They're self-aware. And the last thing I, I want to share with you this morning is this. Transformation happens primarily through practice. Uh, transformation is a practice. Uh, it's not a by osmosis kind of thing. It's not a wake up and be transformed through everything. It, it takes a practice to be transformed. I um, was listening to Kobe Bryant being interviewed. Kobe Bryant, for those of you who don't, aren't our sports people, <clears throat> famous basketball player. Plays for the LA Lakers. Fantastic player, really. A phenom. Uh, to watch him play is really remarkable. He can take a game over. He can literally win a game by himself. I, I, I'm not kidding. To watch him play. Uh, <clears throat> and they, the Lakers had played someone and lost. And, and he had had a poor night of shooting. And it's hard to believe Kobe Bryant has a bad night of shooting. But here's the deal. They're doing the post-game interviews, and I'm listening to this on the radio, and one of the guys says, well, we were hoping to interview Kobe, but he's over at the basket shooting. The game's over. It's over. They've played I don't know how many minutes of intense physical exercise, running, banging, all this stuff, and Kobe is at the basket shooting. So after a while, as you know, reporters are, they, they just mosey down to the basket. And we'll just get in Kobe's face, and we'll, and we'll ask. So he says, Kobe, let me, can I interrupt you for a minute? And, and he says, well, you know, I just noticed, you know, you're over here practicing, and the game's over, and we're just kind of wondering, why aren't you showering or you're doing whatever? And he says, because I had a bad game. I, my shot was off. And he said, you know what? If your shot's off, 
You get out here and you figure it out. And I'm trying to figure out what went wrong tonight so that I can fix it. Now, you know, the guy makes I don't know how many millions a year. He could easily just go, well, I had a bad night. Forget it. You know, I'm going to go home and watch ESPN. Or, 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 you know, I'm going to go out and have some drinks or whatever. But he says, you know what, I, I got to practice. This is a billionaire athlete, a professional. And he says, I got to practice until I get it right. It's a practice. Transformation is a practice. It's something we got to keep working at all our lives uh, to continue to, well, not, now here's the bad news, I guess, but it's kind of good news, too. We're not going to get it right. You know, there's not going to be that day, like I said, where I'm going to go, transformation complete, you know, <laughs> and I'm going to walk out of a chamber and, be, you know, no. Uh, but if I keep practicing, it's going to get better. It's going to get better because that's, that's what happens. And if I find a space where I have been moving forward and I drop down and that will happen too, then I say, what pra- what's the practice? that needs to happen there? What's the intentionality that needs to happen there for me to get back on course? I want to give you kind of some some practical things you can hold on to today in terms of what are some of the things we can practice ourselves that lead us to transformation. And the first one is this. We can uh, exercise the practice of gratitude. Now, why gratitude? I mean, that might not be, you know, the first thing that we think of. Well, back to brain science. One of the things that I've learned in my study of brain science is that they've found that there are three things that, that people need in their life to be happy. A happy maybe isn't the best word, kind of centered, content. The first one is relationships. The second one, they said, and this is just, you know, a, a, a general psychology study, they need some form of spirituality. Okay, so they need some form of spirituality. For us, you know, we know that, that Christ-centeredness is, is the way we find transformation. But this is some form of spirituality. And the third thing they said was they need gratitude. Now, I found this fascinating because you know what? If you had said to me, hey, what do you think the top three things are? I would have probably said spirituality, relationships, but I don't think I would have put gratitude in there. Uh, and they said, and this is what they said. They said, when people practice gratitude, their brain starts to change. And, and they start to see things differently. They start to see things differently. Now, here's how I'm going to phrase that. When we practice gratitude, we start to see God working differently and in places we wouldn't have ever seen it before. So I was very moved by this, this study. I thought, wow, I don't know that I'm really a very highly grateful person. I'm not, a, I'm not like a super ungrateful person. I mean, but... I don't know that I was like really grateful, you know. So I, uh, I've started a gratitude journal. It fell in some water. <laughs> I, I can't even blame that on Trent. That was me. Uh, and and uh, every day, I'm, no, there's days I don't do it, but I'm trying to do it every day. At the end of the day, I, I open up my journal and I write down at least three things for which I'm grateful. Just three. And, I, and it's not a journal. Like, I'm not writing paragraphs, because that's not me. Now, some of you, that might be you. I write three things down. 
Um, so like the other day, this is what I wrote. This, I wrote this in the morning. I'm, I'm grateful for a good night's sleep. You know, I slept, I had a great night's sleep. I think I was actually gone from my home. <laughs> Seriously, I think I was speaking at a retreat. And uh, I was sleeping by myself and I was somewhere else. Uh, <clears throat> I'm grateful for sun outside. It was sunny outside. And I looked out the window of this room and it was sunny and the sky was blue. And I thought, wow, that is really beautiful. And then I said, I'm grateful for laughter and friendship. Uh, because this, this group of women to whom I was speaking, I didn't know really any of them, but they were so, uh, they, you could tell they loved each other. And they were laughing, and they were, you could tell there was great friendship there, you know. And I thought, I love that. And I, I'm so grateful for the women in my life with whom I can laugh and, uh, and I can share my life with and I have friendship with. You know? uh, so just stuff like that. I mean, the other night I wrote, I'm thankful Trent went to sleep. Because Trent has a hard time going to sleep. They're just small things. I'm triumphal for my dogs, because my dogs are awesome. I have these two dogs, and they, they just love me. You know? They do. I mean, they love me. Every time I walk in the door, they come running to me. You know, I, I, I have two teenagers now. <laughs> Here's one of the things I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to keep a gratitude journal. I want you to do it for a month. Okay? And, pre and preferably try and do it every day. I mean, if not, okay. Keep it by your bedside table. Take it, put it in your purse. Take it to work. Doesn't matter, you know? I want you to write three things every day you're grateful for. And I, I pretty much can guarantee you that at the end of that month, uh, the world's going to start to look different to you. In fact, in, in the study, they did a double-blind study. They had people do this, and they had people do nothing. And at the end of the study, they found that the people who had practiced gratitude were happier people. People around them experienced them differently. Their view of the world had changed. Now, you know what we call that? We call that the aroma of Christ. And for some of us, that aroma has just gotten a little bit, you know, died down. It's just died down. Circumstances weighted down. Uh, you know. For some of us, you know what? Uh, it's, our aroma is kind of smelly. <laughs> I mean, we're not grateful. Really. We're ungrateful. Maybe we're in a bitter place. Doesn't mean we can't have real pain and share real pain, but we're not, you know, we haven't been willing to say, no, God, there are things I'm grateful for. You know, I am grateful. I got kids in my son's Sunday school class who are in a special needs class who are in wheelchairs. And every time I walk into that special needs room, I go, you know, God, I'm grateful that Trent can walk, even though he runs away. I mean, I'm grateful that my son can walk. I'm grateful that my son finally can go to the bathroom on his own. I mean, these are things, you know, that we just take for granted. So I want you to, I want you to take up that challenge. And I want you, you know, I know this is the last coffee talk, but you're going to see each other around. I want you at the end of 30 days to grab somebody that you know in coffee talk and go, hey, I want to tell you about my gratitude journal. And tell, them, and tell them what God's done in that. Second thing is just vulnerability. 
You know, you can practice vulnerability. And just to, all that means is share your life with people. Be willing to, to be in life together, to not feel like you have to do it perfectly or you have to have it all down or you have to be, you know, super Jesus follower, but just simply to be where you are. You know, I, I, I often find that with folks who aren't in a relationship with Jesus, one of the things they'll tell me that they find most compelling is when Christians are real about their life. Not, you know, like when they just go, I don't always know if God is there. And there's a lot of days I, I don't have faith. And they find that highly compelling because what they're looking for is people to be real, <laughs> you know. And somebody who says, I know God's there all the time, and I never doubt, is lying. <laughs> really. Because there will be a moment, if, if just a split second, in your whole life where you will doubt, or you will wonder if God's there. But to be vulnerable to each other, and to respond to that vulnerability with with love and kindness and grace rather than with judgment and a need to fix it and to say, well, maybe if you dot, dot, dot. No. Mm-mm. Say, man, pff, that's a hard place to be. How can I help you? Can I help you? Vulnerability. Be in life together. And the last thing is what I call relationality. And it's, it's similar to, to vulnerability, but it's a little bit different because relationality means we're, we're involved in a community. It's funny. I was having a conversation with another pastor about church. And, uh, and, and here's a, so here's a vulnerable moment for me. You know what? I said, I, I am done going to church. I said, I am so bored. Going to church, I'm bored. I have a bad attitude. I'm just like, wah, 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 I'm judgmental, you know. Really, and you know, this is embarrassing, sort of to say, and I, I feel badly about it. But, but I said, you know, I missed church like for a whole month, and I said, you know, I didn't even miss it. And this other pastor and I were talking about it, and uh, and they were saying to me, yeah, I, I get that, you know, I get it. When you've walked with Jesus a long time, you know, sometimes it gets feels old. And they said, uh, you know, they said, I was, I was praying about this very thing recently. And they said, you know, God sort of led me to a place of, of believing that the reason that I'm there is, is the community. Because in the community, I see the face of Jesus. Doesn't, I mean, it doesn't mean that we don't learn, you know, like, from the preaching or from the teaching or whatever. But it was the communal aspect of relationality because that's who God is. God is relational with us. I mean, God, that's God's character, relational, relational. That's God from in his ontic being, in his being. God is relational. That's why we have a Trinitarian God. Community, as mysterious as that is, is important. So we commit to saying, okay, I'm going to be there if for no other reason, for the relationality in the community. And I'm going to believe and trust that God's going to meet me there. And God has met me there. And, oh, it's surprising, isn't it? That there God is in the midst of all of my stuff, 
that gets in the way. There God is. You've had a great year together. I, I know that. And I know that because, because I know Cornerstone and I know that this is a place where you love God and, uh, and your desire is to be people who are transformed, you know? All the, all the stuff, all the brokenness, all the greatness, all combined into one, all integrated, and to be people who are transformed into the image and likeness of Christ. Hold on to that. That's God's dream for you. That's God's desire. That's his heart. That next year when you come back, you will be a different person than you were when you left. And you will be grateful. Jesus, thank you that uh, you are in the business of transformation and that you don't ever quit. Uh, You keep working in our lives over and over and over again. And we are women who have a lot of things that need to be transformed. We have brokenness. Some of us this very day, places where, you know, we just have said, wow, God, I, I've got this sameness that I'm holding on to, and you've made it really clear to me this morning I need to let it go. So let's let it go, God. Help us. Help us celebrate with gratitude the transforming you've done. And may we be women who are continually committed to living in the way, to remember that it is the foolish things of the world you have chosen to shame the wise, the weak things to shame the strong, so that we might say, when I boast, when I'm grateful, when I celebrate, I do so in the name of the Lord.